Today is a special day in the life of our church, Promotion Sunday. Here's what that means for us. Today is kind of the, the launch of a new year of ministry for First Baptist Church of Irving. Our next generation has moved up into their new classes. We've launched new classes today. We've launched a Spanish ministry downstairs, which is really, really exciting. Many of you have returned from vacationing in the south of France, and so we're glad that you've returned from your summer of contentment, getting back into the real grind of work and ministry. It's a, a special day for us because it's the start of something new. And every time we have the start of something new, every time we're able to launch into a, a new year of ministry, it provides us an opportunity to to remind ourselves of why it is that we are doing what we do as the church. To, to be reminded why we are about the type of ministry that we are about. It can be very easy for us to get distracted by all the things that are happening today. All the things that are even happening throughout this week as we think about tomorrow night launching perspectives. We think about Wednesday night returning to our Wednesday night activities and studying the history of the church or, or maybe starting re-engage if you're going to be a part of the re-engage ministry, the student ministry relaunching, the kids ministry relaunching, the, the various groups we have meeting throughout the week in homes. There's a lot of activity that's taking place in the life of our church to facilitate ministry, but if we're not careful, we can get distracted by the work of ministry that is surrounding us and forget the why. Forget the goal of all of this ministry. It's like the Super Bowl, right? It's never too easy to think about the Super Bowl, especially if you're a New Orleans Saints fan, because we're going to the Super Bowl this year. And so when you think about the Super Bowl, there's a lot of things to get excited about regarding the Super Bowl, right? You could be excited about the snacks. Who doesn't love the snacks? All the dips, the varieties of dips, the variety of chips, the, the various ways that we roll hot dogs into small little blankets, all that kind of fun things that we do around the snack portion of the Super Bowl. You can get excited about the commercials because they're always fun. They're always engaging. You could even be excited about the halftime show, unless it was last year's. Maybe moving forward, you're going to be excited about the halftime show. But here's the deal. There's only one reason the Super Bowl actually happens. It's because there's a football game that needs to be played. It's it's fine to get excited about all the things that happen around the football game, but if there's no football game that's been played, you've missed the whole point of the night. And I'm sad to think that there are many in the church who approach ministry in that way, who approach the, the life of the church in that way, who get excited about all the things surrounding the ministry, but actually forget the reason why we've gathered to begin with who've forgotten why it is that we are about this ministry in the first place. And what I want to do this morning is to take advantage of the opportunity that this new ministry year provides us and remind us of the central focus of our work, what the game is, what we're about as the people of God, our ministry priority. And here it is. We are called to make disciples. That's what we do. That's why the church exists. We exist to make disciples. Why? Because Jesus came to make disciples. 
And we are continuing the ministry of Jesus. So we are about the business of making disciples. Jesus invested in men who then carried forward his ministry when he left so that the redemptive work of God could continue. And aren't you glad? Because we're sitting here today as evidences of their faithful ministry and making disciples. Jesus multiplied himself in order for the redemptive work that God started through him could continue forward until Christ returns. We exist to make disciples. So the centerpiece of who we are, that's our mission statement, right? As First Baptist Church of Irving, we exist to make disciples locally and globally for the glory of God. Whatever else we do, whatever ministry we offer, whatever events we take on, whatever we do throughout the week, the end goal of all of it must be, and our gauge of success as a church must always be, are we making disciples? Because that's the work. That's the work. So today, in the midst of all the excitement, all the the life that's happening in our church, in the midst of all the ministries that we're going to be hearing about and thinking about today, let's not forget what the goal of all of those are. Let's not get so distracted in the work of ministry that we forget the why. We are called to make disciples. So what I want to do this morning in reminding us of this goal is to look at the words of Christ himself and what Jesus said should be true of disciples to make sure that in the work of our ministry, we are accomplishing this work of making disciples. What does it mean to be a disciple according to Christ? And are we becoming that as individuals? And are we helping others to become that through the ministry of this church. Because if we fail in this, we have failed in the task that has been given to us. So to understand what Jesus describes as a faithful disciple, we're going to turn to Mark chapter 1. Here's some context for our passage today. 15 verses in to the Gospel of Mark, Jesus has already been announced by John the Baptist. He's been baptized He's been affirmed by the Father, confirmed by the Spirit, tempted by Satan, and all of that within 15 verses. So Mark gets after it, right? Didn't waste a word in showing us the preparation that Jesus undertook personally to be ready for the earthly ministry that God called him to. But after his personal preparation, after that's been completed, then Jesus begins to call others call certain men to himself. And in this calling that we see in Mark 1, 16-18, Jesus reveals the cornerstones of discipleship. He reveals the central characteristics that should be true of anyone who is following Christ and in so doing offers a blueprint for us of how to organize ministry to be about the business of making disciples. Here's what Jesus says, verses 16 to 18 of Mark chapter 1. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw a couple of guys, Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, and they were casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. I'm guessing Mark here doesn't want you to think that these are just crazy people throwing nets into water, but that's what they should do because they are fishermen. 
And Jesus said to them, these fishermen, follow me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately, the Bible says, they left their nets and followed him. Let's let's concentrate on verse 17 because that's going to be the centerpiece of our time together today. Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you to become fishers of men. In this verse, Jesus gives Simon and Andrew a picture of everything that he's going to expect of them as disciples. And this verse he outlines for them before they ever drop their nets and follow them exactly what's going to be expected of them if they follow the call to follow Christ as a disciple. And in outlining a picture of what it means to be a disciple, we see Christ's intent for all those who are to follow him. And if we're to be about building people into disciples of Christ, we got to be sure that at the bare minimum, They're pursuing these things. That these three things that we see in verse 17 are true of them. Here are the three essential characteristics of a disciple according to Jesus in verse 17. Firstly, disciples of Jesus follow him. Secondly, disciples of Jesus become like him. And thirdly, disciples of Jesus call others to follow him. Those three essential characteristics of a disciple are there on the page, verse 17. And what we're going to do this morning is wrestle with whether or not we are following as a faithful disciple of Jesus and whether or not the ministry that we are about here as a church are helping us to become more faithful disciples of Christ. Let's consider each one of these and wrestle with what it means to be a disciple as we evaluate and remember the purpose of all the ministry that we do here at our church. Characteristic one, disciples of Jesus follow Jesus. That seems self-evident, but it's a good reminder for us. Disciples of Jesus follow Jesus. The call to the Christian, the call to the disciple is to follow Christ, to make the pursuit of Christ our highest aim in life. And as the church, we're to come alongside people who do not know Christ to help them see Christ or those who do not do know Christ to help them do this more faithfully, to make the pursuit of Christ the highest aim of their life. You know, people give themselves to all sorts of things, all sorts of pursuits in their life, right? We, we devote our lives to pursuing a lot of, of things. We may devote ourselves to building a career, and we give a lot of time and energy to preparing for our career and, and working in our career and making sure that we are the best possible employee or boss that we can be. People spend their lives mastering a hobby. People who like to play golf. If you don't play golf a lot, you're going to be terrible at golf, meaning that you won't like to play golf. So people spend a lot of time and a lot of money playing golf in order to master the hobby of golf. People spend their lives traveling the world because they want to see as many beautiful things and incredible things around the world as is humanly possible. People devote their lives to a whole bunch of things. I was watching this past week on ESPN, and I saw Simone Biles do something that was out of this world. Don't know who Simone Biles is? The 
best gymnast of all time. Thankfully, she wears the red, white, and blue for the U.S. of A. Can't wait to see her win gold next year because she wins everything. And the reason why she wins everything is because she does things that no one has ever done. She did a triple-double on the mat this past week in one of her competitions, or last week, two weeks ago. And it was unbelievable. You have to literally slow down and watch the jump in slow motion to see everything that she is doing with her body in like 10 to 15 seconds. It is unbelievable what she did. Now, here's the question. Do you think that Simone Biles did that, just woke up one morning and said, you know what? I think I'm going to convert, convert my body, whatever it is. What's the word? Huh? Contort. I'm going to make up a new word. I'm going to contort the English language. And at the same time, I'm going to contort my body to do things that nobody has ever done in the history of the world. Did that happen? No. Simone Biles has been working to do that her entire life, right? She's been pursuing excellence in gymnastics her entire life, and it's paid off. But here's the thing. No matter how much glory, no matter how many awards, no matter how many medals that Simone Biles wins this side of heaven, that's not the greatest pursuit of her life. It should not be the greatest pursuit of her life, and it should not be the greatest pursuit of your life, whatever it is, whatever your gymnastics is. There's a greater pursuit that you have been called to, and that is to pursue Jesus Christ. Jesus is calling us as followers of him to forsake the lesser and embrace the better. To recognize that there is a a flaw in pursuing satisfaction and glory and joy only in this life, that you were created for something much more than this world. It's a realization that every other pursuit in this life is secondary to pursuing Christ. Because honestly, what could we find here that is better than what we have found in Christ? Is there a greater work, a more rewarding work to give your life to than the work of Christ? Yeah, you may get a paycheck here, but guess what? In a couple of weeks, you're going to spend it all The reward for your work here fades fast. But when you work for the Lord, it's good for eternity. What joy is better than that which is found in Christ? The joys here, they're fleeting. They're temporary on purpose because they were never meant to end. They were meant to point you to the greater source of your joy who is Christ. What greater beauty is there than that which we have found in Christ? It may be your goal to see all the national parks in North America. And if you do that, some of us, our friends in here just saw a lot of them. If you do that, you're going to see a lot of beauty. It may be your goal to go and look at all the seven wonders of the world. And if you do that, you're going to see a lot of beauty. But friends, any beauty you find here pales in comparison to the beauty that we find in Christ. There's such depth of awe overwhelming beauty and the work of God through Christ that's meant to arrest our hearts, our affections, to captivate our eyes. There's no better pursuit than Jesus. What riches can you gain here that are, that are better than the indestructible, eternal riches that are found in Christ Jesus alone? As disciples, we are seeking to follow Christ, to pursue Him above everything else. And as the church, 
our responsibility is to help those who don't know Christ understand the vanity of their pursuits outside of Christ and to reaffirm and reinforce what we have already believed as followers of Christ, that He is the greater pursuit. Every week, we gather for this purpose. When we come together in this room and we gather in our small groups and we come together throughout the week, the desire is to remind ourselves of our primary pursuits. To remind ourselves of what we should be giving our life to. That as God has pursued you in Christ and has given you life, abundant, eternal life, so now you pursue Him. Having seen his love for you in Jesus, now the love that you have for him spills over into a life of faithfulness and obedience. And we need it because every week we get distracted. Every day there's a danger that we forget who we should be pursuing. Every day there's a danger that we would begin to return to our old pursuits that would never satisfy, that we would begin to, to try to find meaning or purpose or satisfaction in a place that is other than God. We fight. I fight the, the tendency to find my worth in what other people say about me rather than what God has said about me. Every week I fight the, the fear of failure to make sure that, that my success in this life is not ultimately what defines me, but what God has done for me in Christ. Every week I, I fight the fear of being worthless or meaningless in this life, of not accomplishing everything that God has called me to accomplish. It's a great reminder to come back here and say that God is the one who does the work through you, that it's not your responsibility but His. We need the reminder we need the, the work of the church. We need the body of Christ to remind us of, of where our ultimate worth is found, where our primary pursuit in this life should be found. This is God's provision to us. That there's a ministry, a place where we can gather and be reminded of what we are ultimately to give our life to. There's an opportunity that's presented to, your, to you every week that's why it's important for you guys to be here. An opportunity every week to recommit and remember so we don't wander back into a life that does not matter. Into a life whose end is separation from God rather than relationship with God. We are called as disciples to follow Jesus. There's no greater pursuit. That's not all. That's the first characteristic of what it means to be a disciple. Jesus said to Simon and Andrew, follow me and I will make you to become. The second component of a disciple, the second characteristic of a faithful disciple is that disciples of Jesus become like Jesus. I will make you to become. The Christian life is one of becoming. Salvation, the work of God in us, is not finished. Because not only does He save us in Christ, He has called us to be like Christ. Following Jesus requires an acknowledgement that we need to be more than we are. 
that we are not everything now that God has called us to be, and that our life from here forward in pursuing God will be a pursuit of becoming more like Christ. As we walk with him, we become more like him, because we want to be more useful for the work of God, and so we need to be shaped by the word of God. It's a never-ending commitment to growing in Christ-likeness being a disciple of Jesus, to follow him and be like him. And there can be one of two responses in all likelihood to that realization that we've been saved, but we also have been expected now to become more like Christ in that salvation. You can either be exhausted by that idea or you can exult in the work of God on your behalf. Exhaustion or exaltation, those are really the two primary responses to the realization that we are entering into a lifelong journey of becoming like Christ. And my guess is your response, either exhaustion or exaltation worship, is tied to who you think actually does the work of becoming like Christ. Is it my responsibility Or has God given me something to help me in this work? Because if it's my responsibility, that is exhausting. Right? Because we know how bad we are. We know how sinful we are. We know how broken we are. We know how unlike Christ we are. Because every time we see more of Jesus, we see more of how much we are not him. Right? And if it's our responsibility to fix to overcome in our own power, our own effort, everything that's wrong with us, that can be exhausting. To think that I'm going to be spending my life trying to pursue a goal that I'll never achieve until Christ's return. Why would I want to give myself to that? Why would I want to buy this nasty fixer-upper that's got asbestos in the walls, the plumbing doesn't work, the roof is leaking. Every time I open the wall, there's something else that's wrong I don't have enough money, enough energy, enough resources to fix everything that's wrong. Why would I be about that work? And you can be exhausted before you ever begin. If you think that it's your work and your energy and your effort alone who helps you become like Christ. On the other hand, if you realize that with every removal of ungodliness by the hand of the Spirit that you entered into greater joy, and that you are then more effective for the things of God. If you realize that every revelation of sin was also an opportunity for you to be reminded of the grace of God that he has provided for you. If if you remembered that the Holy Spirit of God, the same Holy Spirit of God that effectuated your salvation in your heart is the same one who is empowering you now to do what you cannot do on your own. There is a provision from God to meet the calling of God. Then you would not let, uh, stay in exhaustion, friends. You would move to worship very quickly. Look at what Jesus says here. Follow me. And you will have to figure out a way on your own without any help from me to start doing the things that I call you to do. Is that what your Bible says? Somebody have the NIV? Is that what that says in the NIV? No? The message? Is that what the the paraphrase is? Sorry, guys. I'm the Son of God. I'm holy and perfect in every way. I want you to come look at me, see all your imperfections, and good luck. Is that what Christ says? No. No. 
Who is the actor in the becoming? Jesus. I will make you. You're the object. He's the actor. Praise the Lord, right? You cannot do it on your own. It would be exhausting for you to try to do it on your own. That's the whole point. We need God. We need the Spirit of God in us. We need the the work of Christ at work within us to become like Jesus. And friends, when we realize that in the midst of our need, God has made provision, that should lead us to a place of worship. It should be no surprise in here that we're sinners, right? Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm a sinner. Turn to your neighbor and say, I have flaws. I know you married couples are saying, I know. (laughs) Marla Gallimore looked at Miles and said, you don't have to tell me. (laughs) Just kidding. Right? We know this. But here's the, how do we, how do we face the Christian life? How do we approach the Christian life knowing that we're flawed, but at the same time understanding the calling that God has called us to be holy as He is holy? Listen, if you don't recognize that you've been called to become and that God has provided for you the way to become, then you'll never be able to follow Christ like He's called you to follow Him. You'll be in despair. You'll have your joy robbed of you. And you'll never let him enable you to live the abundant life that he's called you to. I remember some years ago when I first started out in ministry, I was working at Champion Forest in Houston. I noticed this wrestling that was in my heart every time I heard another ministry like mine was doing really well. Maybe some of you have related to this in the past. And so people would say, oh, we're having, such, we're having so much success with young adults. We're reaching so many young adults. We're baptizing so many young adults. And it's just the most incredible thing that's happening in our ministry down here in this part of Houston. And while on the face, in my face and in, in appearances, I would celebrate that, in my heart, I would kind of resent it. Anybody ever been there? I'm like, okay, that's great, but what do they have that we don't have? Right? What, why are they the ones being successful and we're the not, not the ones being successful? Why, why are they having all this incredible growth and movement and ministry and we're over here struggling? And what the Lord began to do in me is to reveal a deep and ugly jealousy in my heart. Right? And he's saying, Jared, quit being a dum-dum. Right? Now realize I'm, I'm out of seminary. I'm working at a church. And there is an ugly jealousy at root in my heart. He said, Jared, he didn't say directly, right? I get the impression of... Jared, your inability to celebrate the work of God is not only removing an opportunity for you to worship me, but also it's causing you to be blinded to all the incredible work that is happening in your ministry that I am doing around you. When you're constantly comparing yourself to what you don't have, you miss out on what you do have, and it's an ugly, ugly part of your heart that needs to be removed. Because it's not like me, and it's stealing joy in your life. Now, I could have been overwhelmed, and I could have said, God, why don't you ever just let me have a day where something bad doesn't come out, right? Can I just have one day where a new sin is not creeping up before me? I could have said that, or I could have said this, and this is what I hope I did say and continue to wrestle with today. Thank you, God, 
But there was something that was stealing joy in my heart and preventing me from being like you that you presented to me. And now, through the Holy Spirit, have empowered me to remove and fill with something better. Because I'm going to be happier. I'm going to be better because of that work. Every week, we sit before the Word of God asking the Spirit to use it to help us be more like Jesus, both as individuals and as a congregation. It doesn't do us any good to put lipstick on pigs, friends. Right? The goal is not here to come in here and make you feel better or make you think that you're better than you are. How does that help us? It's only going to reassure false things in your heart. It's not going to actually help you to become more like Jesus and to actually find true joy. That's what the text, that's what the Word of God wants to do. That's what the Spirit of God wants to do in us through the Word of God. It's to remove those things that are not like Christ so that we can be more like Him and be more effective for Him. And I don't care where you are. Some of you in this room have been here a lot longer than I've been alive. Some of you have been walking with Christ for a very long time. But if He hasn't called you home, you're not finished. He's still working on you. There's still work to be done. And praise the Lord that there is, right? That we can be more like Christ. Follow me. I will make you become fishers of men. This is to our third characteristic today. Disciples of Jesus call others to follow him. Follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. What an interesting concept for Jesus to launch his ministry with. That the end of following him, the end of the work of becoming more like Christ will be to fish for men. The work of the disciple is to continue the work of Christ. So having been discipled, we are then called to make disciples. What the Spirit has worked in us, we are to entrust to others in order to be good stewards of that work and so that the kingdom of God grows. We are disciples who are called to make disciples. And hear me, until you are making disciples, you have not finished the work of becoming a disciple. Because faithful disciples make disciples. Listen, Jesus redefines the purpose of the lives of these men. They thought they were going to be fishermen. They thought they were going to be just normal Jewish guys waking up every morning, going out onto a boat, and dropping nets to catch some fish. They could eat some and sell some. But Jesus asked them to be devoted to a better work. He said, I want you to use the things that you've learned in fishing for my work. What if you fished for men? What if while you were fishing, you were actually making disciples? What if the end goal of your life was not just catching fish, but catching men with the gospel of Jesus Christ? The work of God in us and the message that has been entrusted to us is not something that we are to hold on to. It's something that's meant to be shared and to pour into others. This is how the gospel moves forward. This is how the kingdom of God, the work of God, expands. People who have known Christ and who have been built up into Christ 
then call others to follow Christ and be built up into Christ. That's the goal. That's the work. If you're thinking, Jared, how, how is it that First Baptist Church of Irving is going to grow? How is it that we're going to have more baptisms? How is it that we're going to replace all the uh, uh, refill all the seats that we've just emptied in the balcony with this Spanish service downstairs? How are we going to be about that? I just gave you the answer. The way that we grow the church, the way that we move the ministry forward, the way that we build the kingdom of God is one gospel conversation at a time. We pour into others who are a part of our church, older men in the faith, older women in the faith, pouring to younger men, younger women in the faith. And then as we are poured into as disciples of Christ, we then go out to others who do not know Christ and tell them of what we have found in Christ so that they can forsake their vain pursuits and begin following Jesus. So that then we can help them be disciples and become more like Christ. So that guess what? They can go out and do the exact same thing. That's what we are called to. And if I'm being honest, I think this is probably the area of ministry in the coming year that we need to grow in the most. And I'm grateful for the way that we've grown already. I mean, under the, the incredible leadership of Pastor Blair, you guys know that our discipleship ministry internally has reached new incredible heights with D groups, the way that we're teaching in our ABFs and small groups here. There's a lot of great discipleship work that's happening within our walls, right? But it cannot stay there. We have a city around us that is rapidly changing. Hundreds of thousands of people are moving into Irving all the time. And the reality is many of them do not know Jesus. Right? That's why I'm so grateful for what we're doing downstairs today with this Spanish ministry. 40 to 45% of our community is Spanish speaking that until this day, we did not have an opportunity to actually go after them and reach them. Not well. But now because as a church, we've seen the potential and been faithful to, to, to be about this work, now we have the opportunity to reach people that we could not have reached before. Isn't that incredible? But let me also remind you, there's a lot of people in Irving who speak English. Right? A lot of people in Irving who speak English who need to know Jesus. Who need to hear the gospel. How are they going to hear? Look at your neighbor. There's the answer. It's us. It's us. The only thing, the only way this thing works is if we are faithful to have the conversation. Here's my question. Who are you talking to? Who are you engaging with the gospel? Who are you pouring yourself into? Who are you sharing what God has shared with you? That's what we have to be about. Here's what I know from David Platt. The Word of God under the Spirit of God is enough to accomplish the work of God. It's a big work. It's called to make disciples, but we have everything we need to do it.
if we will be faithful to the Word. I don't think we're going to be able to reach people like we used to reach people. The majority of people who are moving into Irving, I don't think will ever just show up on the doorstep of our church because they're interested. The primary way we're going to reach Irving is by engaging with them in the normal course of life. So who's your neighbor? Who are you going to have over to your house? Who are you working with? Who do your kids play ball with? Who do they go to school with? Who in your family doesn't know Christ? Are you going to engage them with the gospel? And then on the other side of salvation, will you do the work of helping them follow Christ and become like Him so that they can do the same? That's what we are called to do as a church. Individually, corporately. Follow Christ. He will make us become followers or fishers of new. Whatever else we do, if we don't do that, we fail. May we be committed to that. Let me um, give you one more example of why this is so important from football, okay? Imagine that we are a football team and obviously we're very good. Every week, we gather in this room for a holy huddle, okay? And we go back out throughout the week. We've even got water stations throughout the week to, to re-energize you and to, to feed your thirst. But what would happen if at some point we got in the huddle and just stayed in the huddle? Okay, imagine that the Dallas Cowboys, right, are on the field, Dak calls a huddle, and... You know, suddenly the, the time for timeout runs down. The defense starts looking at them, like thinking, what's going on? Referees start blowing whistles. They start throwing flags. The people around them start booing, which is probably normal. You know, like all this stuff is happening. And inside the huddle, they're just completely ignoring all the, the things that are happening around. And they're just talking about the play over and over again. Now, you're going to go this way. You're going to go that way. You're going to block this person. And then even after talking the, about the play for four or five, ten minutes, they start talking about where they're going to go to eat after the game. Or how that nagging, that nag nagging injury is, is holding up after all these weeks off. Wouldn't that be ridiculous? If the whole time the team's on the field, they spin it talking to each other in the huddle? Because the huddle is meant for the game. Right? It's meant to call the play that you're going to use in the the game. But friends, how often do we as Christians just sit in the huddle? There's a, a game going around us all the time. There's work going on around us all the time, and we're just content to sit around each other and talk about the ministry all the time and not do it. Let's not, let's not rest there anymore, right? Let's be about the work of making disciples because... We haven't embraced our full potential as a disciple until we have. That's what we're going to be about at our church. Disciples who make disciples locally and globally for the glory of God. I don't know what else you would want to give your life to. 
That's what we're to be about as a church. How can you respond this morning? Let me offer you just a couple of quick responses to think through. Firstly, are you following Jesus? Have you ever given your life to Christ? You can't be a disciple of Jesus until you follow him. It's the first key ingredient. Do you know Christ? Have you seen God's provision for you in Christ? Have you seen how he has pursued you in Christ? Have you been overwhelmed by the love of God for you in Christ? Just a minute, we'll have some pastors and ministers here in the front. We'd love to speak with you about who Christ is and what he's done for you. If you've given your life to him, are you actually following him? Have you dropped your nets? Simon and Andrew did. Immediately they dropped their nets because they realized there was something better here. Have you dropped your nets? Are you actually following Christ, following the confession of your mouth? Or are you turning back to some things that you know ultimately are not as good as Him? Maybe you need to repent of that today. Are you committed to becoming more like Christ? Even when it's difficult, even when it stings. Do you allow the Lord to do that work in you so the grace of God can be magnified in your life and lead you to a greater understanding of the gospel and a greater place of worship? And maybe you feel exhausted today because you've been trying to do this work on your own. The expectation, you haven't seen the provision that God has made. Would you step into community here and let us help you in the work of becoming? Let those who have been discipled, help disciple you so that you can be freed from that burden that is not yours to bear? Who are you investing in? All of us in this room are here because someone went fishing. Right? As your parents, someone at your school, someone on your team, Someone went fishing, and they shared with you what God had shared with them in a salvific way, and then someone poured into you in a discipling way. I hope. If not, that's available here. But if so, who are you now discipling? That's all of our work. It's not just a pastoral work. It's all of our work to allow what God has poured into us to pour into others. Who are you investing in? And secondarily, who is God calling you to throw a net to? Now that work's going to be a little bit different. You can't make someone become like Christ until they actually follow Christ because it'd be out of the wrong empowerment. But the responsibility is wholly ours. We are all called to tell people about Jesus and then having received Christ, we are to help them become more like Christ so that they can then go and do it is that true of your life? Do you want it to become more true of your life? Let's hold each other accountable as a church to be about this work. Because when we do that, we are actually continuing the ministry of Jesus. Wherever you are, you bow your head. Spend some time before the Lord, asking him to help you know how to respond. As I said, we'll have some pastors and ministers here from the front who would love to pray with you and talk with you. Great reminder today of the primary responsibility of our work. Father, help us to be disciples who make disciples. Help us to continue the ministry that you've given to us 
empowered by the Spirit, equipped with the gospel to follow you, to become more like you, and to help others do the same. And this way we are our brother's keeper. Father, would you bring people into our life that we can pour into? Would you bring people who do not know Christ into our life? All that everybody in this room would know someone who does not know Jesus and intentionally engage them over time with the gospel. May we do the work of evangelist and an evangelist. Father, also may we commit to helping others grow in Christ as others help us grow in Christ. So that the church moves forward. The work moves forward until you come and finish it. Would you find us faithful, we pray. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. You stand and respond as the Lord leads.